Welcome to Rethink, the Financial Advisor Podcast. My name is Adam Holtz. And this is Derek Notman. We are your hosts, both veteran advisors and fintech CEOs who challenge the status quo, question everything, and have fun doing it. Hear honest commentary on the challenges facing advisors today. And be part of a community where we can all rethink the profession. Now on to our episode. Adam, is tech actually helping societal well-being? Wow. You don't have small questions, do you? <laughs> no, I, I spent three weeks thinking of that one. You did? <laughs> That's all I did. Wow. Is tech actually helping society in the financial well-being, I'm assuming? I like to believe that you and I as technologists and recovering financial advisors see so much tech that's being created for the benefit of advisors. But I, I think you're touching on something important. It's aspirational in terms of how much it can affect people. It hasn't even scratched the surface. That I agree with. It, it has scratched the surface. It's, why? I don't know why. Like you, you've got all this new tech, wealth, chat, GPT. You've got AI, you've got all of this stuff coming out to enable advice engagement and marketing and portfolio management and income planning. The list goes on, right? Brilliant ideas. But is it actually helping people? And I, well, you, you'll hear from the guests in a moment here, but there's like a, a real world story here, which started to get us to ask some questions like, are, why are people not getting the help that they need? We have something like 80 million households in the United States, maybe pushing even 90 million at this point. Every time you listen to the news, you hear in some aspect that the average American barely has a couple hundred bucks to cover emergency reserves. You know, costs are going up. I just saw as I walked down the street the other day in the city, someone had graffitied on a wall and said, if, if minimum wage followed the consumer price index, I'd be making $54 an hour. And I think that there is a huge disconnect between the worlds that we tend to run in, which is advisors working with individuals and families that have means, okay, and delivering technology to them. But the general population is still woefully underbanked. It's still woefully undereducated. The literacy rate is really horrible. It's terrible. And it creates not only a challenge, especially societally, because who's going to pay for all these individuals that are not going to be able to retire, let alone they're going to run out of money, is how do we help you or how do we use technology to start scaling advice? Because it's a huge opportunity because there are a lot of individuals that are not getting help that probably deserve and need it. Yeah, I, I hope that it'll help us crack the code, solve the problem. Why are the masses not getting the help they need. Is it their fault? Is it the fintech's fault? Is it the advisor's fault? I don't know. And I don't even know if we're going to answer that question today, yeah. but maybe we can get a little closer. Maybe we can start scratching the surface, as you say. I don't know but, if it's going to matter whose fault it is ultimately. I think it's going to matter who's going to solve the problem, right? And, and is technology going to solve the problem for the consumers or are advisors going to solve the problem? It seems to me that the people in the best position to solve the problem are advisors and there's actually financial opportunity for those advisors that decide to go out and help. And so let's introduce our guest because this came up in a total turn of how we expected Mark Butler, our guest this week, 
to talk about what's happening in technology. And he brought this up from a real world experience that tended to motivate uh, his answer to this question. So how do we get to know Mark? Mark's a really cool guy. He's got a heck of a resume when it comes to our industry. He was doing FinTech wealth tech before they even called it that. Now, don't get me wrong. He's not that old. I still got more gray hair than he does, but <laughs> he's been doing it for a while. And we actually originally wanted to talk to him about wealth management GPT, which he's working on. And the conversation took a total left turn, which is really interesting, but he's been doing all sorts of cool stuff. He's a consultant now for different fintechs and advisors. He was previously the president and COO of Skyens. I'm sure people have mm -hmm. heard of that. Sure. He had a long tenure as the COO and managing director over at Bank of New York Mellon, Allbridge, and Pershing. So he's been in the space a long time, really well-versed, and just what an awesome conversation that came out of nowhere for us today. Fantastic. Let's hear from Mark. So Mark, what is your unique perspective of the financial advice market today? I think the financial advice market is making progress on getting to or meeting the unmet needs of advisors and investors, but I still think we have a long way to go. I sat in with an advisor the other day who's managing a 401k plan at a nursing home. And just hearing from people as they came in the room, the questions they were asking, and people that hadn't even signed up for the plan yet, it just really struck me. And not that I didn't know this already, but it was right in my face that people still need help. They need help more than ever. There were people I met that day that are near what we would consider traditional retirement age that weren't even participating in the plan. And so, you know, I know we, we talk a lot about serving high net worth clients and people that have money. And if you're an advisor, that's what you aspire to do is to serve people with lots of money. But there's a lot of people in this country that need help with whether it's their 401k or just general finances and budgeting. And many of those people, frankly, are never going to retire. They're going to work their entire lives or they're going to retire and end up running out of money at some point. So I think for as many advances and the technology is great and there's so many great solutions out there, as you both know, we still have a long way to go in serving the American public. You know, Mark, that's really interesting literally being in a room and seeing those interactions happen, it, it makes you wonder why is there this major disconnect? We've got pretty great tech out there now. I mean, maybe our industry is not as fast to adopt it as others, but we've got some pretty cool tech and there's a lot of advisors. So why are people not connecting? I, it almost sounds like you're telling us what the missing opportunity is, but maybe unpack that a little bit more for us. You're seeing what's going on with this disconnect. Is it a challenge? Is it an opportunity? What's going on? I think it's a challenge and an opportunity. I think it's an opportunity for our industry to do what's right and, and help people that need help. And certainly there's technology solutions that can get people there. You know, I use one example in the case of a 401k plan, um, and there's tools that help people do that. Well, people allocate their 401k, people can get advice on, on their 401k. And so 
I think there's solutions out there. I think some of it's connecting the dots. I think often in that instance, participants don't know what they don't know. And if you're delivering advice in this country, I think that that's a great opportunity. And some of those clients may not be a perfect fit for many advisors, but in some cases, there are some of those people that have saved. I've also met some people recently that have put away money in a 401k for 30, 40 years and they're 401k millionaires. And who wouldn't want to have a 401k millionaire as a client? And so I think those opportunities are are out there. I think the point is people need help. And even I would go one step further and say, even the people that you think are going to be okay, they have enough money to retire. But when they reach retirement, if they're not working with an advisor, do they really know what they're doing? And are they prepared to live the next 30, 35, 40 years without income and live off the money they have. And nobody's going to wake up when they're 90 and say, I'm going to go back to work. So I think as a society, I think what really isn't just a advice delivery problem. It's really a societal problem. I mean, the three of us are around the same age. I mean, are we going to be waking up 40 years from now And there's tens of millions of people that have run out of money in retiring, and they're going to be alive for five to 10 more years. And what are we going to do about that? So those are some things that I think about, which have, you know, don't necessarily have a lot to do with fintech or wealth tech. But I do think that despite the advances we've made and brought a lot of people into the advice market over the years, lots of different ways to do that. There's lots of companies that can serve the needs of really just about any investor out there, but there's still a lot of folks that need help, whatever stage of life or stage of being an investor they're at. That's really interesting. I'm sure a great debate because it seems to me like high net worth tends to dominate the space of actually getting more advanced help. How do we actually scale that? And it's a conversation that's gone around a lot. Scaling advice also means helping those that are underserved. You know, thinking about that, what action steps would you recommend for most advisors out there to rethink? What can they actually challenge themselves to do to contemplate or to rethink in their own practice? I think there's a great opportunity. I use the example of 401k plans. I do think 401k participants, maybe not managing a plan per se, but putting yourself out there as somebody that can help someone manage their 401k. I think that's something, again, you might stumble upon a 401k millionaire who's preparing to roll over in the next couple of years. I think those opportunities exist. There's some number that Fidelity publishes of the number of 401k millionaires that they see across their plans. And it's a huge number. And I just wonder to myself when I read that number, have advisors stayed away from those investors because they've generally stayed away from 401k plans, but are there great potential clients that advisors can help? And whether you're a seasoned advisor or a younger advisor, is there an opportunity there? Same with retirement income planning. I think there's great opportunities to help people not run out of money. I've sat in some other meetings recently where people point blank ask 
advisors, am I going to be okay? And it's a, it's an emotional conversation. It's one thing to talk about it, talk about it on a LinkedIn post. It's another thing to be in the meeting and it's emotional. People get emotional about it. I mean, you guys know this, you've been in this advice delivery business as long, if not longer than I have. And these things, these are important conversations. I think the ability for the industry to help people and the tech helps with doing some of that. Like I mentioned, the tools that can help participants manage 401ks more effectively, the tools that can help with retirement income planning. Adam, you do some of that stuff today with Asset Map. Those things are critical. Do advisors know how to use those solutions well enough to make a difference? I don't think they do. I just don't. I've never thought that with any of the solutions I've ever been involved with that advisors really know how to use them well or how to use them effectively. And I, I don't put the onus on the advisor as much as I put the onus on the firm, the broker dealer, the custodian, whoever it may be, or the fintech to get the users up to a level where they can be effective. Hmm. You know, it, this almost makes me think of two questions. So one, which is what spurred this having you on as a guest, Mark, was we, we had an advisor ask, should advisors even be using chat GPT within wealth management? And it almost sounds like they should, but it's they shouldn't be relying on the tech so much. The tech almost should be empowering the other way around if it's used correctly. So I guess I'm curious because you're totally in the space. You founded a company on this. I'm curious on that. And then the bigger, it almost sounds like you're putting more responsibility on the broker dealers and the insurance companies. So I, I'd like you to unpack that controversy a little bit there because we tend to put all this on the, the advisor. I think almost everyone does. Well, it's the advisor's responsibility to do this, to do everything. So flip that for us. Yeah, well, I'll take the second one first. I'll stand by what I've always said is that advisors will not design, nor do they want to be in the technology business. I know there's exceptions to that. The two of you are exceptions to that, but most of them don't want it. And so if we're leaving it up to advisors to get smart about fintech solutions, that hasn't worked. I've been around this space for a long time and it hasn't worked. And so I think if we want to have advisors leverage technology to enable better advice delivery, going to have to help them become better using these technology solutions. And I'm not going to speak for every fintech and wealth tech out there, but I might give us a C or a C minus on that in this space because I just don't, I don't think we're there yet. And on the first question, my answer is yes, because for a couple of reasons, number one, and some of this gets back to why I started Wealth Management GPT was really about how do advisors effectively communicate with their clients and with their prospects? And are they viewed as being a thought leader? Are they putting thoughts out there? Can they communicate effectively? And, you know, one of the things that I picked up on and you guys did as well early on with ChatGPT was the opportunity to help you be a better communicator. 
Um, and I use this simple example over and over again, which is an advisor who doesn't even know where to start in creating a blog. And a lot of advisors, you guys are an exception to this, but a lot of advisors couldn't write a 500 word blog. They would really struggle to do that and do it with some level of, of accuracy or having it be in a position to be published. And ChatGPT, what we've created with Wealth Management GPT, I think gives an opportunity for advisors to communicate more effectively. And I read something the other day, and I couldn't tell if it was a couple years old or if it was relatively new, but the statistic was that half of the investors in this survey said that they would like to hear more and get more communications from their advisors. And solutions like Wealth Management GPT provide an opportunity and a really easy step-by-step way for advisors and those supporting them to do that. You know, that that goes back just to our previous episode. It sounds like if it's used correctly with the way, you know, you've designed it, for example, you're just enabling scalable advice delivery, right? That's what you're doing. You're able to speed that up. And that's one of the challenges advisors are trying to overcome is how do I do this at scale? Because the thought of writing the blog post and then sending out a hundred emails manually, like, forget it. I'm not going to do that. That's just way too much work. Even though half my clients want it, I'm just not going to bother. That's right. But, but if we can use tech to scale that and make it faster, less painful, then why not? Exactly right. And that's kind of been my, my premise for most of my career in the space is the tech. It's not about the tech. It's about what the tech can enable an advisor, an investor, a firm to do. And this is a great example. I got to ask the question though, Mark, which is how are regulators going to look at yes. GPT? And are they going to perceive this as written advice? And, or how do you deal with the data that you're putting into these platforms? We haven't really had much guidance on this one yet. Do you have any thoughts? Um, yeah, I mean, the data aspect of it, we've purposely stayed away from anything that requires input or requires any client-related data. Wealth Management GPT, just we're not going to deal with that at all. And then from a regulatory standpoint, I guess just a couple things. One, firms have approval processes, as you know, for written communications. And so that we're not looking to change that. So if you've created a blog, for instance, in Wealth Management GPT, we would expect that you would go through the same process that you go through and have gone through in order to get that approved within your firm. One thing that we did do a couple of weeks ago was we took a list of these forbidden words. These are words that FINRA and the SEC don't like to see in communications, and we prevented those words from coming back in the mm. results. That's cool. You can't guarantee anything? <laughs> no guarantees. <laughs> No guarantees. So that was one step. I mean, we would love to automate the delivery of the content into an approval system that a firm may have mm. in place. But in the meantime, we, like I said, taken out these forbidden words. They're not going to come in the results. We've also made it really easy for 
advisors and other users to export the content out of wealth management GPT and put it into these approval systems. I I did some research while we were talking. 60 million Americans have a 401k. That's a lot. And only, it's crazy, the most recent data, 299,000 have a million bucks or more. That's it. It's not a lot. No, that is not a lot. But Uh, still, what if there's 10 million that have half a million in there? Yeah, that's a good, that's a good amount. But the, the staggering stats is that Northwestern Mutual study that I don't remember which, I think it was Gen Xers have like an average of 60,000 bucks in their 401k. And then people think they need a million in order to retire. Like it's a long way from 60 to a million. Oh, it's so so disconnected. I just don't know where it goes. But this woman that I met last week, she's 65 years old. She's got a full-time job and a part-time job. And she's just signing up for the 401k plan. And she leaves the room and the advisor and I look at each other and we both said at the same time, she's not going to make it and she's going to work the rest of her life. Yeah. You know, Mark, what do you think is the barrier for all of these people not wanting to get advice, get help, or just even sign up for the 401k or log in and look at what's going at their bank account? Are they scared of money? Are they nervous? Are they... Do they just not give a crap? What's driving this? Because I think the advisor population is pretty eager to help as many people as possible. And there's more than enough clients to go around. So why is there a disconnect? I I don't understand. I I don't know. It could be all of those reasons, Derek. I think that sometimes people are, they don't know what they don't know. Why did this woman all of a sudden at 65 decide, hey, today's the day I'm going to go find out more about this 401k thing? Why didn't she do that 30 years ago? I don't know. And some of it, if you don't, you know, I talked about my father investing in stocks. Like I learned, like I kind of knew what was going on. And so I've been speaking this language for 40 years. I know something about this. Sure. If you don't grow up with that or don't grow up with conversations about money or budgeting, buying a house, getting insurance, if you don't have any exposure to that stuff, you might not know any better. It's so true. Like my family, money was not talked about. You brought that topic up and you got the look and or even worse. It was, (laughs) you did not talk. So I never got any education on it. Well, that was interesting, Derek. What do you think about Mark's interview? Refreshing, interesting, wasn't expecting it. Just just a really cool conversation. And I value the, the real world experience that he shared. I, I think a lot of us have had those and we have them every week, but we don't talk about them. Mm-hmm. Or if you do, it's one thing to do a LinkedIn post about it, but that's not being in the room, seeing it happen and seeing the emotion and what that actually means, but then to extrapolate it out, he mentions about the 401k market, for example, and how many Americans we can serve there. Over mm-hmm. 60 million Americans have 401k accounts. My goodness. It's crazy. It's a massive opportunity. But again, as we were talking about before, there's some disconnect going on here. Like, why is a 65-year-old only coming in at 65 to start talking about getting their 401k sorted? Well, probably because they have no outlets. I mean, when you think about the average American, they're not really taught finance, certainly not in educational institutions. They're not given any guidance on this. All they're 
information comes from media and Dow Jones or, or Bloomberg or CNBC, right? They think it's all about stocks. They have no concept of legal tax insurance or investment protections, which is we were woefully undereducated on the side. Literacy has been so important. And when you think about how technology has the capacity to potentially scale out advice, I think everybody's overwhelmed. There's just too many options. So they do nothing. And then all of a sudden it's become so urgent that they need to talk to somebody, but it's almost too late because we lose the compound effect. We lose the insurable yeah. effect. You know, we're kind of just so late to the game at 65 that we're almost destined to fail. So how do we engage them earlier on? Right. There's, I mean, there's probably more than one solution here. And how do we get part of it? I think goes back to what you said earlier. I think there needs to be more open dialogue about money. Like mm -hmm. I shared with you previously, my family didn't talk about money at all. I had to figure it all out on my own. Really? It was just, it was a taboo subject. I think that happens to a lot of people. Or what if you don't have money? What yeah. if you're worried about making rent at the end of the week, right? You're probably not thinking about what stock portfolio you're going to get into. That's <laughs> not priority number one, let alone seeking out advice from an actual advisor. It's just probably not on your radar. Well, finance is intimidating from the start. If you don't know anything about it, I mean, think about it. If I said that geometry was required for your retirement, you might try to kick that off as long as possible and be like, okay, I guess I better learn geometry, but you're rolling your eyes. It's not exciting. I think the outcome might be to yeah. make sure you can retire. But I think that the problem is, is advice is intimidating and we've made it that way. And we've made it exclusive to those who actually have resources. Look, most of my clients were high net worth and that's yep. because they were willing to pay for advice. They knew the value of it. They knew how to delegate and they knew the leverage that they got by having experts on their team because they also ran a company or they also ran a shop or they were also highly educated. And so they already valued having an educated, competent person. They were overpaying theoretically to deliver an exceptional outcome that they couldn't do on their own. Th this needs to become more accessible. And the question I'm wondering is whether technology, I think Mark is really questioning this at fundamentally given his background is how do we use technology to create opportunities to help more people, which in a sense, as a business owner, is going to help me get more scale into the mm -hmm. system, right? In, in other words, it lifts all boats when an advisor actually helps consumers get financially Oh, everyone better. wins. Yeah. You know, you said a, a word a couple times just now. You said opportunity. Mm-hmm. And maybe one of the problems is that for the non-high net worth folks, mm -hmm. which is the bulk of people, they are not able to visualize the opportunity granted them by tackling their money, getting the education, going through that geology, <laughs> geometry, geometry course. Ge yeah, Financial geometry. <laughs> Sign me up. Yeah, yeah, money no. calculus. Great. <laughs> But it may, and, and if we're talking about advice engagement, maybe tech needs to figure out a way to help more visualization. This is not a pitch for asset map. You guys mm. already do this, but I agree. Help me as a consumer visualize the opportunity, the plus side versus making me feel overwhelmed and scared and nervous. Well, you know, you know, I believe in that. I mean, that's hundred percent. That that's what I think is the the key. I mean, we're trying to figure it out ourselves at asset map. How do we? help an advisor engage everybody, regardless of net worth. And granted, that might not be appealing to everybody. That's fine. That's a business decision. But that doesn't mean it's not coming because remember, Generation X and millennials are the ones that are going to inherit the boomers' money because the boomers are not going to spend it all, which means these people are going to be highly motivated to make better financial decisions. And we keep talking about this major 
wealth transfer that's coming. And everyone's like, when is it coming? When is it coming? These boomers are living forever. It's going to happen all of a sudden over a long period of time. But when it happens, it's going to happen. And the the people who are and the advisors who are ready are going to be ready. The question is, how do they scale their tech? How do they help people become not so intimidated in this process? And I, I think it's interesting because Mark said that advisors didn't sign up to be technologists, right? And unfortunately, we've been really forcing a lot of advisors to take the mantle of installing their whole technology stack, despite the fact that their larger supporting firms, broker dealers, RAAs are slow to execute this stuff and adopt the newest stuff. So you really only have the avant-garde advisors who are really buying the newest technology and trying to scale advice, but there's no way they can keep up with the level of demand out there. And they're probably focusing on the biggest money market, in the, which is really high net worth. So this great technology is not really even getting to the mass market in many ways. And it's funny that he gave advisors a C minus on their support and implementation because the reality is they need to be heavily supported. And I think the real change has to happen at the larger company level, right? Because the major wirehouses, investment, insurance companies, and banks are really the ones that are affecting the majority of the population. They need to find ways to support their advisors reaching down into the market. You know, that that's a really good point. We do put a lot of pressure on advisors and most advisors don't want to be technologists. Most advisors become an advisor because they want to sit across the table or across the Zoom meeting and talk about paying for the kids to go to college, buying the wow. second house, retirement. Yeah. And if they can have a couple tools to show the clients like, hey, this is what it works. This is how it looks. Cool. This is exciting. Like, that's awesome. But the larger, because let's face it, most advisors are tied to some type of larger organization. Mm-hmm. And they only have we the serve, tools. We here. serve, for example, I'm just looking this up right now. How many clients does Fidelity have? Fidelity serves over 43 million people. Okay. And I'm not saying Fidelity is good or bad at tech or empowering their advisors or not, but that's just an example. Think about if you lump all of the larger shops together, you're serving or probably touching almost every single consumer in the country. Yeah. In some way, probably true. Well, there's probably a whole bunch of people that are not served at all. But if you add the banks into that, true, they're touching something financially, right? If they pay any bill. Yeah. Right? yeah. So the, the the point is that it's really incumbent, I think, on the large companies to support a technology initiative that allows scaled advice delivery and accessibility of professionals that can work with individuals at all levels. That's really what the promise of technology was going to be for industry. But it's still so much in its infancy, despite the fact that we talk about tech all the time. Its real impact for the financial well-being of society is at its infancy. It really and that's is. why there's so much opportunity. Now, it's interesting that we switch to this AI conversation because so many of us have been curious about, well, is AI going to solve all this? Can we just actually enable ChatGPT, upload the CFP handbook, <laughs> upload the tax code, and just say, forget all you financial advisors. Just type in your question, anyone in the planet, and ChatGPT Finance will answer your questions. That's not what Mark built, but it begs the question is, is the technology on the verge of solving major societal problems? I think so, but I don't think it's going to be AI by itself. Hmm. What is it going to be? Well, you've actually, I don't know if you coined this, but I'm going to say you coined it. Okay. AI as an advisor intelligence. That's true. If we're giving advisors better tech that's simpler, that enables more engagement and visualization of outcomes, 
for the consumer, now we can scale. Now we can serve more people mm -hmm. and make them feel good about their money. Interesting. So you're saying AI as a supportive tool to the ad advice delivery process. I think so. I think that's where it could fit in. Although honestly, with my tech company, my CTO, and I've talked about this a number of times, and he even talks about how like AI is a little scary because no one knows exactly what's going on inside. That is Which true. No one knows. No one in the world knows. So it's a little freaky. Well, someone uh, knows, like the open AI guys know. No. They built it. No, you don't know. There, there is AI that they they don't know exactly what's going on all the time. Like, there's literally like a magic wand going. There's some weird stuff. Like, oh, right. I, wizard. You'd of have Oz to talk stuff, to my huh? CTO about this, but it makes you laugh. It makes you a little scared. You're like, what the heck's going on here? Man, nobody knows what's going on in the federal government. Okay, so there's some <laughs> magic wand in there too. Hey, man. How it operates? I don't know. Look, somehow we have roads and we have a military, and I pay my taxes. Somehow it works. It's a magic beanstalk, okay? That is funny. You just compared AI to the federal government. <laughs> Maybe any, every government. So every how, government, yes. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's hilarious. Some, nobody knows how it works, but somehow it works. That's pretty funny. <laughs> it's interesting how well, you know, GPT, there's been a lot of advisors that have reached out to me personally that have asked about how to use chat GPT. I happen to be a huge fan of it because I use it every day for something. I, I like to ask it some dumb question. Perfect example. I said, can you give me a list of all the episodes on Rethink? And can you categorize? And it said, well, I can't look at the at your website, but give me all the text of everything from every episode and I'll make you this beautiful bulleted list. Well, that's great. So now we can post that in a blog, right? That saved us a lot of time. I would never have created that on my own. I actually had it rewrite something. And, and I think what Mark's doing with Wealth Management GPT is he's creating an outlet for advisors who really want to create more content, have someone read it. It's and scalable, right. Yeah. And it's, it's scalable delivery of communication. So they can be better advisors. And I've actually used it. I've piloted his tech. It's pretty awesome. That's great. Uh, we'll leave a, a link for folks that want to check it out in the notes. But yeah, it's very cool. I do anyway, think I mean, there, there are some big concerns though, Derek, about what regulation is going to come down and basically slam the door on a bunch of other tech that does go across that a barrier that he talked about. Don't cross the seal. If you remember the last Indiana crusade. Jones Indiana and the Indiana last crusade. <laughs> Don't cross the seal with the grail because I think there are a lot of advisors that are putting in personal identifying information into GPT because they're just ignorant. They don't know. They're oh, yeah. asking for yeah. summarize this guy's financial plan in a one page summary. And you're literally putting that person's information into this who knows what, right? Uh, system that you just talked about, who knows what's really going on on the data side. And and it causes some really big risks. I think we could see huge penalties and fines for inappropriate use, but no one's got a guideline on it yet. So people are going to get caught. And I think we need to be more protective here than just excited. And I think that's- Well, I like what he said too. It's more marketing driven to write yeah. a blog and then it should still be part of your compliance process. Agreed. You've sped Agreed. up, like, I mean, I don't Don't's know if anyone listening, if you haven't written a blog, it can take- hours and then you have to optimize for seo nice. and then you have to upload it and then you got to get graphics it's a major pain where you could do the same thing in what a minute good question good but question. put it through your compliance process wow. anyways i think it was really awesome chatting with mark the guys are just a wealth pun intended yeah. <laughs> of knowledge and experience he's a wealth gpt yeah just and, and we actually did this whole episode using his tech <laughs> there you go. We didn't. This is not us speaking. This is not us speaking. <laughs> an AI. Just kidding. Well, let's go to our community question because I know Matt really wants to get some voice here. Yeah. So Matt in Utah 
I woke up to this note from him this morning of all things, actually. So he hmm. starts off, Hey Derek, over an 18 hour road trip, which I guess he just took, I don't know where he was going. He didn't tell me that he's right, been to the supermarket in, in Utah. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. He probably still in Utah. <laughs> um, he's been binging the rethink podcast. So I mean, first like, awesome. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate that. But he had a question, which I thought was pretty interesting. That's near and dear to both of us actually from our advisor hmm. days is as a remote office, how do you recreate that calming waiting room that you would have in a physical office? In a little bit more context, he goes on to say, many people walk into a waiting room for the dentist with high anxieties from the drive over, the pain, or even the fear of going to the dentist. We all know how that goes. And the waiting room experience can help calm those, although I've been in waiting rooms that don't help calm them. You hear someone screaming in the background, that's not that's calming. Right. Drill. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so in remote offices, you are technically skipping the waiting room. Mm -hmm. So how do you create that calming effect, that calming room? Um, what are your thoughts? You want me to tell you my thoughts? Yeah. Well, first of all, don't ever let people wait in the waiting room remotely or virtually. That would just drive me crazy. Like, are they joining the meeting? What's going on? Do I have the right link? Like that's anxious. Uh, but I think the answer here is actually by being prepared. Right. I think being empathetic is really the key to it. I'd, I'd be curious your answer because. I've never really thought about this uh, until this question comes in is my gut tells me you prepare in such a way that those people feel like they're in good hands, right? They're not going into an intimidation zone. Exactly. It's a safe spot from day one. And I, I referred to this previously a number of times over the years as a, what I would call robust digital footprint, hmm. where if a consumer is coming in to meet with you, whether they're a brand new client or an existing one, Give them the opportunity to figure out who you are, have a great website, have a video, social media posts. Who, do, who are you? What do you do? Not just, oh, I'm a CFP. I do retirement planning. No, who are you? You got kids? You know, you like dogs? Who are you? Mm, so they have all that context, but then also what's your process? What are we doing in meeting one? Are you going to ask me to sign something to send all my money to you today? Because that's what they're worried about. That's the anxiety bit. Or mm -hmm. are we just getting to know each other? What's yeah. your process? Outline it for me. Send it to me ahead of time so I know what to expect. So now I've got all this context. I've got a lot of the questions that I have answered before I ever even talk to you. And then you just jump in like this and just make it natural. Well, I'm a big fan of not having fake backgrounds. Let yeah. people see into your life a little bit. Yeah, Who well, are that's you? a great point. You know, I, I'm, I'm so glad you said that because you're right. We have talked about that in prior episodes about your digital footprint preeminence is always being built. Right? You know, people do, they look you up, they try to see you on Facebook. Do you have a family? Are you normal? They totally do. Weirdo. Can they get a sense of you as a human in the early stages when they haven't necessarily built rapport yet? But I think that's true. What technically can you do? You can really be empathetic to their experience. And one of the things that drives me crazy is I join a meeting, the person didn't put the link in the meeting, I go to join, I'm scrambling, now I'm getting annoyed, I'm running late, I feel like I'm an idiot, and I don't know what the agenda is, there was no agenda in the meeting invite, so now I can't, like, what are we talking about? So being really thorough is a great way to calm yeah. anxiety, because it looks like you're in charge, and you've been thoughtful to their needs, experiences, and it's not I got to go search for it. There's like 15 ways there. for me to reach you because I'm running late. I'm in the car and I, I can't find the email you sent me four weeks ago. And I don't know where your number That's is. And anxiety, you don't put it right? like, oh my yeah. God, just be thoughtful. Just put a fire extinguisher on every floor. Make sure that you're creating a way, I think, to 
reach out and get my needs met in the moment when I'm in anxious mode and I'm in fire mode and I can't yep. think straight. That's ways to do it, Matt. Um, and and I'm just wrap it up. I even say, don't make people look up your nose. Don't have bad lighting. Yeah. Don't be on your couch with a pile of laundry next to you. You know, like, right, right, come right. on, or like you, don't be on your phone during the middle of the meeting, and they can see yeah, you. Yeah, like, you're looking you're away. Like, not you're listening. not really. Yeah, I'll oh, joke gosh. with people. I'll say, listen, I am going to be typing and looking away. Trust me, I'm not on LinkedIn. I'm taking notes. Okay, yeah, exactly. It's Major League Baseball week. I don't know. I'm just <laughs> the draft is now. I can just let you know. I don't yeah, know. yeah. Just, just hold out. Fantasy hold that football. thought. Hold that thought on retirement for just five more minutes. Yeah, yeah. hold on, hold on. I'm, I got this player. <laughs> Uh, anyway, anyway, great this, question, well, man. It was great. Question. It is great. Thank you, Matt. We do appreciate it. And certainly thank you to Mark Butler, who just delivered in so much to our industry. Thanks so much for what you've done. Derek, with that, let's let everybody go back to the next episode, which hopefully they're binging right now. Hopefully they're binging. All right. Good seeing you, brother. We'll talk to you later. Take care. Thank you for listening to Rethink, the financial advisor podcast with Holt and Notman. Be sure to subscribe now and join the ongoing conversation. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Asset Map or Connector. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only.